Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, folks. Welcome back to the Mountain West Wire football podcast. Um... We are down to the final format. NWR.com is our website. Four previews left. And today, Boise State Broncos by an overwhelming vote on our Twitter account, which is MWC Wire. That's true. So where do we start Boise State? Uh, I guess we can go off of last year, which I guess it's – why do I always ask that, Matt? It's always the same thing. We look at last year, coaches, changes, transfers, offense, defense, special team schedule. Why do I keep asking? What do we do first? We should know by now, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, you never know when there's a first-time listener out there. So if that sounds like you, first of all, welcome. Thank you. Um, but right. to, 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 to take that real quick look back at 2021, I think, you know, the story of the Broncos season is like, if, if all you were to do was to look at the numbers, you would think this was a pretty good team, all things considered. You know, they, I believe, had the second best finish by SP Plus of any team in the Mountain West, you know, 42nd overall. Uh, you know, they were in the top 40 by net points per drive, uh, 41st in available yards percentage per drive. And, you know, from time to time, you could see flashes of that dominant vintage Broncos kind of team that you are accustomed to seeing. I mean, if you're a longtime college football fan, year in and year out. But, you know, in a lot of cases from week to week they were mostly undone in the first year of the Andy Avalos era by an underachieving offense yeah that's um, offensive line issues swapping around a million times George Lonnie not healthy at running back which led to also yeah, so, get some hits so to, so to put that in context you know we would talk a lot about you know close game luck and that was something that wasn't really on Boise State's side last year they were 0-3 in one score games um, and, and maybe more concerningly, they had the fewest 20-yard plays from scrimmage by any Broncos offense since 2012. Um, and in terms of just straight yards per play, which, you know, it doesn't capture everything about what an offense does or doesn't do, but it does go a long way. Um, in averaging only 5.26 yards per play, that was the lowest figure in Boise State's entire Mountain West tenure. And that's also why they had five losses last year. Yeah. So, you know, like on, like I said, on the one side, when everything clicked and, and I don't think you have to look much further than, for example, like UTEP game or the Fresno State game, you know, there were times last year where they looked like the best team in the conference, but it wasn't as often as in past years. And so, you know, despite being flush with a lot of talent because they still recruit as good as anybody in the conference, um, you know, there, there's just enough questions that, you know, a return to form isn't necessarily guaranteed. Well, there's that. Let's get to the part of it, too, where they lost, what, four or five coaches this offseason? Mm -hmm. So it yeah. doesn't help losing guys who are in the NFL, coaches gone to spend time with family or various reasons to retire, step down. It wasn't every coach going to a new job. I don't – I should have it in front of me, but most of them just like, well, I'm done coaching football. 
And who knows that had to do with NIL stuff because it's a lot harder and more roster management. We're recruiting your team over and over again to keep guys around plus the one-time freebie to transfer because that's not coaching football. That's retaining talent and recruiting all the time, even though these guys recruit all the time. It's not even more. So not many said like, well, I'm leaving because of that, but they also multiple coaches, which doesn't help. And Andy Alvos goes into another year. He's early on in his career. And so, that's going to be a concern for a new, a newish young head coach to bring in like what, a third of a new staff. That's going to be something to look out for as well. If that like losing to secondary coach and others, how is that going to impact this year? That's something to watch for. Yes and no. I mean, you know, when you look at some of the faces that they brought in, for example, and I think maybe the best example of this is someone, uh, I believe Nate Potter was one of the new arrivals. Was he not? That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Very good one. You know, he he was brought in in January, but, you know, if you're a longtime Boise State fan, you know that he's a guy who's familiar with the program. Um, you know, and, and we talked about it with, you know, Freddie Banks and the, the defensive coordinator of Colorado State. You know, he, you know, Potter specifically, you know, he he has been a position coach before. He was, he was at Montana State for a few years alongside Banks. And so it's not like the guys that they are bringing in don't have the resume to, to fit in just fine. And they, it's not like they don't have a familiarity with what has made the program so successful. In some specific cases, these are some of the guys who helped build that reputation. And so, you know, it, it's tempting to, you know, take the sort of the, 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 the grim view of, of that kind of turnover, but also like they brought in some, some pretty useful names too like you know potter like demario warren who you know he's he might be coaching quarterbacks now but mm-hmm. it wasn't that long ago that he was a head coach at the fcs level and you know if he if he performs well enough as a position coach at a program like boise state he could be back out on the way again in a year or two and and that could just be another feather in the proverbial cap of this program so i think i could see both sides of it but again you know the, the talent on the field that they have coming back is as good as any team in the conference. It's just a matter of putting people, putting players in the right position to succeed yeah, on true. every front, which which wasn't always the case in over the last couple of seasons. It's just the new coaching aspect with the young head coach where, yeah, they might be great, but can the new coach, or I guess not new, but Avalos has been around not much, not very long. So it's... He's well-connected. Yeah, he's well-connected, but it's also, he knows the guys too, but it's when you have that much staff turnover, there's... I'm going to be a, there's going to be a cause for concern a little bit just to make sure that it works for what I, I know. Avalos hired the guy who wants to hire out of, out of all these positions, but mm-hmm. you make it staff the first year and then next year you get to start over. That's just yeah. something like that. It's like, well, I mean, it could literally, like you said, it could literally be nothing because the experience these guys have either within the program at years past, former player, or they have like higher coaching experience. FCS head coach coming to a coordinator position coach level that brings in more experience that could, that could be a good thing because Avalos young head coach. It's like, well, what did you do at your stop? Yes. It's an FCS level coach, but you're still a head coach managing, organizing an entire program. So what did mm-hmm. you learn from your other lower, I guess, I mean, FCS school, what I can learn here. I was like, Oh, that's a good thing. I didn't think about because FCS program, you have to do a lot more and maybe they say, Hey, Andy, you're doing too much here. I can handle this or this coach can handle this or this administrator SID can do it. I had to do all this at X state university directional. You don't need to do it here. You have a few more people around on staff to handle something. So that could be, a good, it, it can go either way. It's just TBD, but it's just, I'm like, well, what's um, some look at. That's all what I'm getting at. Well, and the other thing is too, which is, is it has definitely played a role over the past couple of seasons in particular. So it's, 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 it's a, it's a question that precedes Avalos or anybody on his staff. But injuries, key injuries have really played a role over the past couple of years, too. And if, if we want to pivot the conversation to a quarterback, I think that Hank Bachmeyer is, is definitely one of the best examples of that. Because, you know, on the one hand, he, he may on paper and on the stat sheet, he may not be the best quarterback in Mountain West yet. But at the same time, he's at this point, he's probably got a track record as the toughest quarterback in the Mountain West. And, oh, by the way, like he still has the tools to stand out too. Um, you know, it, it didn't come out until later, like at the end of the season after the bowl game, it got postponed, got, got canceled rather, not postponed. Yeah. That uh, if, if memory serves, he played through meniscus injury for most yeah. of the year. Not an easy thing to do. And, and while he's getting hit and running around back there too, he's not just a stationary QB where it's not as big a deal, but he's sliding, 
stepping, sidestepping, running, and eva- being elusive, that's, uh, that's a lot of strain on that uh, that injury. And, and despite that, you know, he still established career bests in completion rate, 62.8%, you know, through 20 touchdowns, averaged 7.7 yards per attempt. All those were career highs. And, you know, his, his, his interception rate was sort of halfway between what it had been in 2020 and what it was in 2019 too. 2% overall is still a pretty good place to be in. So, you know, you start right there and you say, okay, well, if they can keep Bachmeyer on his feet, like that in itself could go along like towards carrying a lot of ills, especially since unlike the last couple of years, you know, the, the options behind him are a lot less proven this time around. And, and, you know, Jack Sears went to the transfer portal and, and at least if, if, uh, if the early returns are any indication, it doesn't seem like Avalos or offensive coordinator Tim Plow is necessarily interested in playing a, a QB carousel in the same way that they did sometimes under Brian Harson. So I think they're going to hope that they can keep Bachmeyer on his feet so that he can make plays so that they don't have to turn to, you know, one of Taylor Green or Sam Bidlack if they don't necessarily have to. Yeah, I think they're going to try and play it a little straighter than they have in years past. And Vidlak's a transfer from Oregon State. So it's he's yeah. there, play, but it's like, well, he's not in the system. And so you're right. He could be. It, here's the thing. Their floor is pretty high, obviously, despite with five losses last year. That was was their mm-hmm. season long time. Bachmeyer could be if things go, they have to go really well for them. But there's potential, and this isn't hyperbole, oh, it's just the Boise State or whatever. But there's not, I would I'm not going to rule him out being conference player of the year if things go according to plan. If the line's great, Halani's there healthy, Stephen Cobb's the receiver we think he could be. There's a legitimate case where if thing, things have to go really well for them to do it, but he, I would not rule him out being conference player of the year, first-team quarterback, if this team is healthy and all the talent returning back plays up to what potential because Solani hasn't been great in a couple of years. Bachmeyer's again, I still remember that day one Florida State game. He getting taken a shot in the ribs. He takes it and keeps going. But I don't think that's an an outlandish or extremely bold prediction that if this team is healthy and plays what they should be, he could be a player of the year. And to that point of all the quarterbacks returning in the Mountain West in 2022, and again, your mileage may vary by this, but according to Pro Football Focus and their their grading system, Bachmeyer has he he was number one among returning quarterbacks in the conference last year in terms of overall grade, eighty three point seven. Better than Logan Bonner, better than Jay Kaner. Jay Kaner is a little erratic, with particularly that Hawaii game. But also, I'm not sure Tyler sure PFF goes into it, but some of those interceptions Kaner had were tips and bad passes. I mean, not bad passes, but tips and just unluckiness, which may yeah. downgrade. But that's that's fairly surprising that he that he would be the top quarterback because right now he's probably sitting at. It's hard to bring in his Zeke Daniels where he because it's different type of QB, but. Him and his Daniels are battling for that third spot behind uh, Hayner and Bonner, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely the public consensus. But like I said, he's got the he's like the, the tools haven't gone anywhere. No, it's just it's, that he hasn't always had you know the kind of help that you know previous Boise State quarterbacks have have benefited from. But he he's right there to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I totally think that's the case. So if we go to running back here, this is another area where. If it was up to it, they're going to be the best team. This this Boise State teams, it's weird to say, but it's a potential team this year, because if things pan out, they could win the conference, and nobody bad an eye. Their preseason media poll recently, our poll first place, considered to win the conference and and win the uh, or at least win the Mountain Division. But if George Halani's back, the less Andrew Van Buren, he transferred out and he was fine. But Halani's been injured the past couple of years, and the offensive line, which we'll get to, played half a dozen different starting lineups last year, somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. And I'm tired of saying if he, here's the thing now I'm at the point, I think I, st- I started since the end of last year. If he's healthy and plays well, they're going to win a lot of games. I'm he, he's at the point where last year I said end of the year, he has to prove it to me. And so, but we're talking big picture, a little more optimistic about every team. I'll go back to, to this one last time before I actually see him on the field. Cause they open up at Oregon state, which is no slouch of a team. Mm-hmm. If he's there healthy and a combo with the offensive line, they can beat pretty much anybody in their schedule. But he he's back to me proving what he has to do because he has the talent to do it, but it's not all on him because the line, him being injured, whatever, how that health-wise, it's it's there, it happens. He got hurt. He hasn't been playing well the past couple of years because of that. Maybe it's a concern where he's hurt a lot, which it has been the case. So 
again, if his talent's there and he's healthy, he he there he's probably the best running back in the conference. Jordan Mins, Calvin Tyler, or excuse me, Calvin, uh, yeah, Calvin Frick, sorry, still thinking of Calvin last year, the Hawaii guy, but he's up there, Titus, Titus Swen, he's up there, if not better, if he's healthy. That's why he wasn't first team running back, but the Mountain West median and in our poll either. But yeah, and, and I believe and with that in mind, he needs to show me now, and that's where I'm at this point. Well, and with that in mind, I think it is important to keep in mind that when he has seen the field, or when he saw it last year in particular, his per play production was almost exactly the same as it was to in 2019 when he ran for a thousand yards. You know, that you know, that season 2019, it was 5.6 yards per play. Last year is 5.5, which is which is which is a good sign. But the big difference is, like, as you as you said, is that he saw the field less often. You know, according to CFBstats.com, he was credited with 219 plays in 2019. That number was only 133 last year. Yeah, and he had 119 carries last year and one nine. Or excuse me, yeah, 192 and 19. But, but one thing, I, but one thing I wonder about, which could serve as a as a mechanism towards keeping him fresh. And this was a question that was posed to us in, in a couple of different ways by some of our, our Twitter followers. So first of all, thank you for that. You know, a couple of people sort of spoke to this point about what, you know, one, one person asked uh, at friendly thick with two C's, what changes need to be made to the offense in order to improve from last season. And, and Kevin Nebaker uh, said something similar. He was saying, you know, with, with Halani and Ashton Jean T, which we'll, I'll talk more about in a minute, having receiving capabilities, does the offense plan to use more passes out of the backfield to extend the running game? And my answer to that is, why not? They should. And, and, I, and, and to sort of provide justification to that, one thing I went back and I looked at was the early down rush rate that we State had last year. And this is where I shout out Parker Fleming at Stats O'War on Twitter, which if you don't follow him, you should. And Boise State was a lot closer to 50-50 than I would have expected in terms of their run rate on early downs. It's 51.6, which was in the, just inside the top 50 nationally. It was 47th overall. But one thing I wonder about is whether they might turn to Bachmeyer and have him throw more often on first and second down to sort of take the heat off. Because it wasn't like the offense was terribly successful on early downs last year either. You know, I've, I've talked here and there about expected points added, which is basically sort of a measure of how successful a play is in any given situation. Uh, I would encourage you to Google it. But long story short, they were basically like net zero on early downs in terms of expected points added last year as an offense. 81st overall, but it was like negative 0.001. So basically zero, which makes me wonder like, okay, if we knew already that you know their offensive success rate was better when it came to throwing the ball than than than, than running it last year, which again, if, in terms of offensive success rate, forty nine point one percent, which was forty eighth overall in the country, pretty pretty solid. Um, that figure on the ground was thirty six point nine, which was ninety fourth. Not so great. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. 
And so I wonder, given what we know about Holani being a pretty reliable pass catcher, and if memory serves, I believe he had 14 catches out of the backfield last year. Combining him with someone like Gene T, who, yes, he, he ran for over 1,800 yards as a senior in, in, in Texas last year, um, but he also had 41 catches for over 800 yards, too, out of the backfield. And so I have to wonder if, like, those two and, – and, and I say this not to ignore the other two running backs on the current roster, like Tyler Crow is still there, uh, Taekwon Tyler is still there, and I'm assuming both of those guys could have a hand in that, too. But I do wonder if that could possibly be part of the solution is changing that run balance just a little bit. If, and not necessarily saying that they have to throw it like 60% of the time on first and second down, but maybe bumping it up to like 55%, changing the calculus of what defenses could expect and maybe keeping Holani, GNT, whoever else is in the backfield from plunging between the tackles as often as they have in years past. Because we know they can do it. We know that they can create plays in space. So why not try and do that a little more often? Get them the ball in space out of the backfield and see what they can do. And that's kind of a question somebody asked here. We had, uh, did you already talk about friendly thick their question they brought in? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So scrolling I, saw, I saw it as being sort of part and parcel of the same idea of like, how can the offense evolve? And I think that trying to get the, the ball to the running backs out of the backfield in the passing game is one of those avenues. I was reading through. I'm like, oh, that's a good. That's kind of where you're getting to. I wasn't. I like that name sounds familiar now. It also kind of goes in line with another question from Jacob underscore Denny and eleven about Bachmar getting the ball quicker, and then all which could be the the um, what, what you've been discussing. Give it to the running backs more because Halani had a 19, 20, uh, what 23. Oh, I had a for you. 20 something receptions. He had 14 last year. Not many. 20, uh, 26 the year before, and or 2019. Excuse me. So that's what to a game. That's not unrealistic. Mm-hmm. He had no huge game. He had a couple of zero games and a couple of three game reception games. So why not give him a couple more touches that way? And that's maybe it's a little bit more, but that's three games, not three passes to him. A, a game is not unrealistic and two to three catches, get him 30. That could go a long way because that could help with the offensive line. It could help Hank Bachmeyer be less injured. If he's getting rid of the ball quicker, like they suggest as a possibility, because we'll see what the offensive line does. And there's optimistic optimism for that, but it's also kind of a lot of bad luck they've had. But that's mm-hmm. the one way for the offense could get the ball quicker out of hand. Some people suggest mix up the offense to make it better, partly because also we'll get the receivers. They don't have Khalil Shakir's with the Buffalo Bills now. So that's. Yeah, we, we don't know how they're going to be able to stretch the field. That's that's a big if. Like, and I was when I was writing my notes, I wrote the passing game is going to make or break this team. So someone, and then I put in parentheses, I added an S to say someone's. <laughs> uh, multiple someone's you got to step up because when you look at, you know, who they have coming back, the only player on the roster who had as many as four 20 yard catches last year is Stephen Cobbs. You know, I, yeah. I mentioned that as an offense, they had 52 20 yard plays from scrimmage. Um, Shakir, who you just mentioned had 18 by himself. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> So somebody's got to step up and prove that they can stretch the field as consistently, even if they aren't bringing in those 50-50 passes in the same way that Shakir seemed like he was every single week. Somebody's got to prove that they can at least threaten to do so. Yeah, because Cobbs had... And it it seems like Cobbs is probably going to be like the number one option. He definitely will be. It's interesting because we're going through our top 50 list is going on right now. We're through, by the time we're recording this, we've gone through at three to four. There might be five by the time you see this. Yeah. So Cobbs was a lot of uh, first team all conference. They're like Athlon. He actually made our first team as well. And I'm weird. You made a discussion. I'll find like Cobbs is it's already out there. He didn't make our top 50 list. Mm-hmm. But yet he made our first team all conference receiver, which we went three deep, which is a bit weird. But then if you think about it, it's not necessarily because there were, let's see, I'll just, I'll say the number, which is fine. He was the fifth receiver in our top 50 list. So four were ahead of him overall uh, throughout the list that we've gone through. Mm-hmm. So our top 50, because it's different. Because think of it this way. Hank Bachmeyer was, what, our third-team quarterback? Yeah. He's – I don't know where he's on our list, but he could be – he might be – I'm. he's pretty high up on our list, I would say. Top – I don't recall from, ahead of you. But, mm-hmm. by example, quarterback's going to be higher. Like, Jay Kaner is going to be pretty high. Bachmeyer's reasonably high. Um, Brett, like, um, Hazik Daniels, um, Logan Bonner – doesn't necessarily just because you're first team or second team or even third team doesn't mean you're 
level of placement on our top 50 is different because there's other players who there might be way more more offensive linemen, defensive backs, and running backs or quarterbacks that are ahead of him, which dropped him down. But mm-hmm. point being, that means kind of like, okay, yeah, out of receiving group, he's there. You have Jesse Matthews as their first team receiver. There's a lot of guys out there. Somebody from Utah State may step up. We don't know. But for him, he's a speed guy because he has a punt return for 81 yards. He has only 41 career catches. So it's he's your guy, but he's also very inexperienced, and that's going to be – and that's why it helps having Hank Bachemeyer, a very experienced quarterback, assuming – again, assuming that thing is going to play. George Lawn, experienced running back, back back there handling the ball. I think they're going to want to be more of a – not that Boise State's going to shy away from throwing the ball a lot, but if they can, it's a dumb established run like everybody wants to do typically, unless you're certain teams out there that want to just throw, 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 which is great and fun. Boise does both, but I think they're going to be more run than pass until they figure out who they're playing against. And their schedule early on, they get, again, Oregon State week one. They have, I know they get New Mexico early on, they get UTEP early on. UTEP wasn't bad last year, UT Martin, but I think the receiving group, the depth, we don't know who, who's, who's it's going to be. And typically, again, you mentioned recruiting. They always recruit typically top three in the conference overall. They'll have somebody come in who didn't play last year, very minimal playing time, step in and show up. But out of everything in their whole team, possibly, this is the biggest question mark, even with Cobbs out there, who's clearly the number one guy and clearly one of the best receivers in the conference. I mean, they, they have Cobbs. That's one reliable option. They also have Davis Cutter, who can play both inside and outside and was a pretty good run blocker last year, too. So that gives them at least like a like a secondary option. Yeah. The problem with what you're saying is that it assumes that they don't have a legion of talented guys who could peaceably be the answer. I mean, we which, don't know. That's the problem. That's why I say if, it's if But that's why you know, you go down the roster and you see, oh, yeah, they still have like Billy Bowens uh, and they have you know Eric McAllister. They have Austin Bolt, who when I was doing research and putting together my notes, I saw that there was a, an article from somewhere, I can't remember where, back in April that, that termed him as a local legend. <laughs> um, you know, they still have Latrell Cables, they have Jalen Richmond, all of those guys were three-star guys when they were recruited. And so, you know, that's where I go back to my my point earlier about not shying away from the passing game. No, they won't. They, they could have have guys. Like maybe they maybe they won't have a thousand yard receiver, but they could pretty easily have three or four guys with somewhere between 500 and 800 receiving yards that makes more sense they don't have an all-conference guy but they have a legion of dudes who all of a sudden they they take advantage of the opportunity to step up into bigger roles you know bolt seems like a guy in particular who's getting a lot of helium i think a lot of Boise state fans are excited about him and then you look at how he stacks up physically compared to the rest of the the options on the roster and you see oh yeah he's 6'3 and 210 and i believe he was brought in as a tight end you know if, if now all of a sudden he's playing on the outside that makes the offense look a lot more interesting. Same thing with a guy like McAllister, the other guy who's six foot three. You know, both of those guys proved that they could stretch the field in, in high school. And, you know, they've just been sort of waiting in the wings for their opportunity to step up. Now's the time. Oh, it totally. Is. It's just more like we don't know. That's what I'm getting. At. I don't think they're going to have a. Here's what Khalil Shakir did last year 77, 1100 yards. Seven touchdowns, average 14.5 yards per catch. Mm-hmm. They're not getting that. But if they, like I said, if they have three guys that combine for, okay, their top three guys last year combined for about almost 2,000 yards. You had Cobbs mm-hmm. with 421, Octavius Evans, 409, that's eight, uh, 830, basically 1,950 yards. If their top three guys each have 600 each, 650 each, that's great. That's fine. It also means you can't lean on one guy or defense can't, oh, here's your guy. We're going to try to stop him. They have multiple guys out there. It's just, Again, it's more like he's you. We have there's guys there, the guys you rattled off and mentioned. It's just like, well, who's it going to be? That's where I'm at here. Where I'm not saying it's a concern. Well, it is, but it's more of a question mark than concern. But then again, they lost five games last year, so I'm not I'm not in the mood to give them the benefit of the doubt just because they're the Boise State Broncos. They still they well, they're well, in the earn it. Their receivers have earned it. Cobbs has earned it. Offensive line being healthiest earn it. I'm not there to say oh they'll be fine because they recruit well anymore. I'm beyond that. Well, and the other thing is too is you know if, if I'm if I'm plowing the rest of that coaching staff, I might try and scheme up the tight ends a little more often too. Yeah. And that which was something that you know one of our other questions from at uh, Bronco Blymeyer sort of spoke to. You know, he was wondering if you can expect a bigger role from the tight ends, and if and if I'm looking at the production that I've gotten from the past couple of years from the guys who are left on the roster, 
you know, I, I see Riley Smith, who's averaged a, a pretty reasonable 10 and a half yards per catch over the last two years. He's been a solid option. And I go back and I look at Tyneal Hopper and what he was able to accomplish. He only had seven catches last year, but three of them went for over 20 yards. There you go. And I think to yeah. myself, well, there's some, there might be some big play capability there. And so, yeah. you know, if you're worried about the lack of, of proven options of wide receiver, why not try and run 12 personnel more often this year? And, oh, and nice. give defenses different looks and, and, and maybe throw out of, you know, if you, and, and again, if you have Holani or GT or whoever else in the backfield and you've got two tight ends on the field, you know, you've got defenses thinking run, but you might be able to operate a passing game with three, four incredible receiving options out of that formation too. So we'll see. Let's go to the offensive line here because that's kind of yeah. the whole thing of why the offense may or may not be good this year. Because the past two years, I know 2020 is weird, but it's still trend still holds where that they were not healthy, had to switch up the line so many times where there's inconsistency. And that's mm-hmm. a problem. Because if even if you're like a not a great offensive line, but you have the same guys, you could be better than one that's oh, you're playing tackle this week, great. You're center this week, you're right guard this week. Oh, this guy's not playing. You have four new guys, quarterback. Good luck. New guy snapping the ball. He's left-handed, not right-handed. The ball may turn a little bit different when you pick up under under his butt. So it's like mm-hmm. that's there's a lot of small things that can make a big deal and make a difference. And they have guys like they have plenty of talent on there on the offensive line to get done. Like starts with the John Ojuoku right there. He's going to be a fifth-year starter, first-team all-conference guy. He's been around forever, but like okay, who else do you got, and who else is going to be healthy to be able to uh, protect Bachmeyer? Like Ben Dooley's there potentially there, all conference guard uh, moves over from defense. So that's something, but moved over, moved over from defense, and I don't care who it is. So, okay, so 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 here here's here's what I'll say: be healthy. And that's all. You, offensive line play has to get better, and it's been inconsistent for a few years now. Like if you compare some of the some of the rate metrics that I like to talk about on these preview podcasts, especially with their last championship team in 2019. So you can go to football outsiders, outsiders rather, and and look those up, but I'm going to give you the numbers from last year real quick, just to show you sort of how far that unit had fallen in particular. Line yards per carry, 91st in the country. Mm -hmm. Opportunity rate. So like getting your running backs to the second level, 98th in the country. Power success rate. So like how well you do in short order situations, 106th in the country. Stuff rate. How often are you getting stopped at or behind the line of scrimmage? 72nd. The, the best thing that we're at, the, be, the best thing they did as a unit last year was their team sack rate allowed. And even that was 6.2%, 60th overall, right around the national average. I'm hearing there's not good numbers. But to your point, more stability, better health could go a long way. You know, like when you think about it, you know, this is a, this is a unit that like when you look at different magazines, they project to have four starters back. And one thing that's really easy to overlook wait, 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 wait. is how, like, many game, how many games does that consider though starter from last year? One? Or they had to pay at least like five or six? Because they had so many guys well, start that's, last year. That's the rub. And, you know, to, <laughs> to that point, you know, you look at a guy like uh, Kikanio, excuse me, Kikanio Koa Hulamalia Gonzalez. He was projected to be the starting center last year and basically never got into the game because he missed the entire season with injury. That That's the sort of thing I'm talking about, where like they were projecting him to be a starter. And when he played in 2020, he was pretty good but he was just never healthy last year, you know, and that's where, that's where they ended up, you know, getting into a shuffling game where you mentioned they had like five or six starting lineups. Ojuku was the only guy to start every game last year, but I will also say that I'm still waiting for him to be great. I think that he has been good, which again, I, I, you know, I, I sort of use pro football focus grades as a shorthand for, for a lot of things. But like I'm ex- when I when I look at an all conference offensive tackle, I'm expecting him to be better than like the ninth or tenth best offensive tackle in the conference, which is what he was last year. It was seventy point one overall grade, and he had a big split between his pass blocking grade and his run blocking grade, which, given the guys that are likely to step up into bigger roles, he wasn't the only one to have those kind of severe splits. Dooley, who you mentioned a minute ago. 
you know, his, his run blocking grade last year was 43.3. Not great. But his pass blocking grade was 80 on the dot. That's pretty good. Same thing with same thing with a guy like you know the Washington State transfer Cade Beresford, you know he had sort of the opposite split where, you know his I believe it was his his pass blocking was uh, you know way above his run blocking if memory serves, and so, you know I, I sort of see these different things going on, where I say I, I can pretty easily lay the case out that this is this could be the best offensive line in. The conference, but I could also lay it out in such a way where, yeah, they might have some really good games, but they might also have some really frustrating games too. You know, they this is a team that is dying to stay healthy on the offensive line, yeah. and and they need their stars to like be stars, like to be like real offensive, you know, all conference type guys. They have it in them, but they haven't always been it consistently throughout the course of the entire season. Yeah, I'm still, it could be there, but I'm like, again, I'm like, prove it to me. That's where I'm at right now. They may have the talent, they may get there, but I'm, again, if it comes together, great. And their schedule's nice because they have all these tough games at home, but I'm still, I still need them to give me a couple games first of all. But So let's go to the defense now where, <clears throat> excuse me, look at the when you look at the defense side of the ball, because it's funny too, in Boise State, like, oh, it's all offense, offense. Well, People, if you haven't been t- paying attention for years and just like, hey, who are these guys listening to them? Their defense is typically pretty good, man. They've had plenty of guys, NFL mm-hmm. guys, um, leading the conference in certain categories. There's been years recently that the defense has been better than the offense. And when you look at, oh, yeah, yeah, when you look at stuff like last year, they weren't great because like the yards per play was kind of middle of the pack, about five and a half yards per carry or excuse me, per play. But it's still a unit where when you can kind of go back years before, where like in 2019, top three, 2018, top top half. They're, they're rarely in the bot, bottom half. Like last year, again, you have five losses. You're not going to be very good overall. So when you look at last year and kind of not take it away, but just kind of put in context where, yeah, they're down. But historically in the past five years, I know there's a new coach, but everything newish with Avalos, but they're going to be fine. And they're going to have, they have plenty of players out there. When you, when you start kind of up front, um, well, I guess, well, sorry, I'm looking at two different things here. They're going to be an area where it's, they're not going to be worse than last year because last year is kind of like a perfect storm. Man. Offensive line, not good. Injuries. Defense was just, I know they beat BYU somehow. The turnovers, they got those games in that weird win over Utah State where they got a million turnovers. So there was plenty of uh, times last year where they got the ball, they were good at turning it over, putting those into points. But like when you look at kind of a bigger picture where you had to play a whole 100 yards, essentially, they were just kind of, they were fine. They weren't scaring people outside maybe the secondary and what Ryan Wimpy was doing last year. Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a unit that has the talent to be the best in the conference. You know, like a lot of those same metrics that I mentioned a minute ago for as far as like offensive line struggles, the defense did not really have those same struggles. Um, you know, they were top thirty in sack rate, twenty eighth overall, eight point two percent. You know, their opportunity rate was thirty fifth. Their stuff rate was forty fourth. And oh, by the way, they also had twenty three takeaways, which was you know good for I believe it was a tie for third in the conference. And best and fewest points allowed at 19. They were just yeah, and and they were excellent on a per drive basis too. Like if you look at their points per drive average on defense, especially, uh, they were 13th nationally, 1.6 points per drive. That put them right between Michigan and Toledo last year, which you know, maybe you know a little less about the Rockets, but like you know, Michigan was a playoff team last year. The problem was they were oftentimes operating with a very small margin for error. You know, in the, they had six games where they allowed more than 1.75 points per drive, which is approximately like being a top 20 unit. Which is weird uh, because by that measure. that's why you're probably not the best stat. There were one in five in those games. And that, that includes games like the Oklahoma State game where the defense gave up exactly – 1.752 points per drive. Um, it also, it also includes the San Diego State game where they gave up fewer than two points per drive. And I believe, what was the other one? I'm trying to remember. And, and the loss or the loss of that caliber. Yeah. So, the, but, but the, you know, the good news is a lot of that same talent is back. So, even though there is some, some shuffling, if we're going to start at the front, you know, Shane Irwin medically retired. 
Isaiah Bagnob was recently revealed at media days to have moved from the edge rusher spot to weak, uh, weak side linebacker. Should still be a deep and dangerous group, especially if everybody can stay healthy. You know, you, you look on the interior and you see Jackson Cravens and Scott Matlock. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good starter kit for a defensive tackle duo. Problem is there's not that many known quantities behind them now at this point. Um, same thing at defensive end, like Irwin is gone, but they bring back Dimitri Washington, who could be in line for a breakout. And one of the guys I'm really interested to see how he translates, George Tarlis, Weeper State transfer, multiple all-conference defender who, you know, from memberships, I think he had like 18 sacks over the last three seasons with the Wildcats. He's a guy who could step in right away. And like, you know, I don't think anybody was talking him about him as an all-conference performer, but if he plays like he did at the FCS level, he could be one of the biggest steals of the transfer portal season. I was close to it because like you mentioned, all those advanced numbers, like all those un- unlucky, essentially the one on five record. And that's why I'm like, yeah, I use yard for play, use other stats. That doesn't mean as much because they, could, they didn't give up points either. So when they're stopping guys up front, if the guy from Weber State comes in and plays, say uh, 70% of production at a lower level, that's still huge. And they, they're, Avalos is a defensive guy. He knows what he's doing. She's like, hey, this guy looks like he could fit our scheme. We could bring these guys in. And yeah, losing Irwin's a pretty significant blow, in my opinion. But if that front is, like as you mentioned, if the guys, it's a little bit, you mentioned starters are great, backups, TBD essentially. But they're going to attack. And if they can just adjust a little bit, again, the only, what, what was the only poor stat of the yards per play, which doesn't necessarily mean up front, like rushing yards per play, which we could get into. We're not going to, but. It gets more than just what you give up per play because the Utah State fans are funny because they got beat pretty bad in that game. Like, well, we outgained him this. Well, you boys said to go like 10 yards half the time, score touchdowns. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, everybody forget everybody forgets that Utah State had some serious red zone issues in that game. Yeah. And they also lost the turnover battle. Yeah, what I mean, yeah. And Boise was given short fields. And so, like yeah. the turnover margin, cool. which with other teams. If it's really good, clearly you're going to be an advantage. I think it wasn't Nevada that we talked about recently led the nation mm-hmm. in turnover margin per game, or even yeah, plus so. every margin. They're number one in the country. At Boise State, yeah. there it's you're good to go. So what do we got linebacker? And, or we got one yeah. last time. Yeah, and and you know going back to Bagnall for a minute, you know moving him from the edge to the linebacker core away from the ball, from the line of scrimmage also gives them the benefit of having sort of a. a at least I don't want to say a permanent solution, but at least an immediate solution for Riley Wimpy having moved on, you know, he and Ezekiel Noah, you know, if I guess the one thing I wonder about with the linebackers is they don't typically attack. They don't typically disrupt in the same way that a lot of other linebacker units do in the mountain West, like your Wyoming's or your San Diego States or stuff like that. So I wonder what the ceiling for this unit is, because like if you had to describe someone like Noah over the last couple of years, like you probably say he's been fine, right? He's an honorable mention all conference, so which is fine. He has four and a half sacks, 18 TFLs in his career. So that's, that's fine. You know what I mean? Nothing he's, great. He's been fine. Yeah. But I wonder, but, but I guess that's the one thing I wonder about is like, can they be more than fine? between Noah and Bagnon and whomever else might sort of back them up. My guess is you're talking about guys like, you know, DJ Schramm or, or Brandon Hawkins or probably those next guys up. Well, you know, the, the linebackers might be okay, but they haven't operated in recent years on the same level as other teams in the conference. And so I, I wonder sort of, you know, if it's a high floor, it might also be a low ceiling there. Which is fine. You know what I mean? Like why would, like, it I might mean, be. I, yeah. Especially if, especially if the secondary can play up to its potential because that's yeah. secondary. Oh boy. JL Skinner, possibly defensive player there in the conference. It's good enough to rival San Diego State. Yeah, you have Tyreek Jones. You have – and, 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 and here's the thing. They might be better this year. What? Whisper. People can't hear. Say it loud. They're going to be better they, than last They year. might be better this year. What? Like Skinner had – okay, So, yeah, everybody knows Skinner. Skinner's an all-conference dude. He's a stud. Really quick. 26 games, three interceptions, seven PBUs, three fumble recoveries, two forced fumbles, 140 tackles. Not bad. Tyreek Jones isn't far behind, though. And yeah. if he's moving from that other safety spot to the nickelback spot, which was the other thing to come out of media days recently. Roman, get put, I mean, that puts, him in a, that puts him in a very good position to succeed, I think. 
you know, playing closer to the line of scrimmage. And then, you know, you look beyond that and you, they still have a pretty healthy mix of veterans. Like they still got, you know, Caleb Biggers, Markel Reed, who I would imagine are probably the most likely candidates to start on the outside at cornerback. And then you've got, you know, younger guns like, you know, Kaonohi Kaniho, who stepped into the starting lineup when they needed him last year. Uh, you've got guys like Rodney Robinson and Seiyo Ladipo competing for that other safety spot now. Terry Buff is still around. How many names did I just mention? One, five. two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys for what? five spots. This is a deep unit that, oh, by the way, allowed the fewest passing touchdowns in the Mountain West last year. 12 passing touchdowns in 12 games. They could be just as good, if not better, this year. That's wild to think about. And it is crazy to think about because if they're that good, the, I like there's a lot of again potentials with this team. I'm going to say a lot because secondary is already good, really good. Mm-hmm. Defensive line is really good. There's potential by being if things because I think they've been unlucky the past couple of years. And if that turns around, this might be a 10 win season. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. All right. So, what do you got for special teams here, really quick? It should it's, be decent. Like, you know, Jonah Dalmas was is probably the best kicker in the conference in his performance last year when he only missed two field goals. That wasn't a fluke. You know, when you break it down by like distance, he was six of six from 40 yards and beyond, I believe. Um, you know, I guess the questions that remain are, you know, whether they keep Cobbs in a returner role, uh, you know, especially if he's going to be that much more important to the offense. Do they want to expose him on special teams? That's that's one question they're going to have to deal with. And how often? And they too. also have to replace, you know, Joel Velasquez as a punter too, which, you know, depending on your perspective, may not be a huge deal because it was like there's a high bar to clear. But it is worth noting that they were right around the national average last year in terms of net punting. You know, it was thirty nine point eight six. That was good for fifty sixth overall. So yeah, that's a competition that may not be like the most high high profile competition going on between you know Gavin Whale and James Ferguson Reynolds, but it is something that. You know, in the grand scheme, like, you know, there might be one or two critical situations where they need their punter to sort of put the defense in a good position, pinning them deep or whatnot. So whoever wins that competition could occasionally have a very big role in what this team looks like this year. Could be, because as we know, with San Diego State, CSU, Utah State, Nevada kicking field goals, if you have good special teams and can flip the field, either returning or kicking, it's a huge deal. There you go. All right, schedule time. We're going to run through the schedule quick because we're on time crunch here. The schedule plays out very nicely if Boise comes back to being what they they typically have been every year but last year, past 20-plus years. They get all their tough games at home, essentially. Utah State's at home. BYU's at home. Fresno State's at home. San Diego State's at home. Those are all, all the four toughest games. But they start off at Oregon State, which – it's interesting because they're up in Corvallis and what they what they've been doing there is beating Utah last year for one. I saw them like, what how the heck does that happen? And with what they're doing up there, and they're a team where am I is it too bold to say they could be they could win a Pac 12 North? That I mean that division does look wide open. And yeah. the and the other thing to keep in mind is they were one of the nation's toughest home teams last year. They were six and zero at Reeser Stadium. Which was something that I'd also touched upon in the Fresno State podcast. And, you know, in that one, I talked more about the offense. So if you would like to know more about the Beavers offense, I would I would recommend going back to listen to that. Because what I want to talk about more here is the defense, which could be on the upswing. It, it wasn't necessarily their biggest strength last year, but, you know, they, they had to switch defensive coordinators, you know, midway through, well, not midway through the year, about three quarters of the way through the year, they they relieved Tim Tedesar of his duties. They uh, promoted Trent Bray from their line, from linebacker coach. And they got better down the stretch. Like, you know, maybe you had just a little bit for opponents, um, but they still improved on their season average of 5.7 yards per play allowed. You know, they were, they gave up in the last four games, 5.54. And they also had seven sacks and 17 TFLs in those last four games too. Their team. And they bring back it. They bring back a fair amount of starters too. Like, you know, their linebacker Omar Spates was recently named a preseason first team all Pac-12 guy. You know, he had 89 tackles, five TFLs, two interceptions last year. And he could be in line for a much bigger role because Andre Roberts moved on. Um, and oh, by the way, they're also returning all five starters from the secondary too. You know, their nickelback Jaden Grant is, is a solid piece. 
you know, Rezjan Wright, you know, their veteran cornerback, you know, they have an up and comer opposite of him and Alex Austin. So this is not a team, especially on the road, that that the Boise State fans should take lightly. This is a, this is a team that was a top out on the road. And while I have this one penciled down as a Boise State win, Close. you know, they're 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 not gonna have an easy time of it, I don't think. Just real quick, like their schedule, they could Pac 12 schedule is not difficult. They go to Arizona State, not not very good at mess. At Washington, a complete mess, new head coach. At Stanford, who knows? They do go to Utah, but they're did you see their first four or five games? Boise, Fresno, okay, Montana State, USC, and Utah. That's tough, man. <laughs> that is not you just, miss, you just miss Montana State, but the Montana State might be pretty good again this year. I know, but you know I'm getting that. Like this I do know what you're getting at. But that's at home. Like the USC at home, they beat Utah last year. They crushed USC. It's like this team, do not be don't sleep on them like going to the cotton ball or something this year, potentially, if they don't win the Pac 12. They could be that close. Now, now that's a dark horse pick right there. Yeah, if you win, if you go to the Pac 12, you're, right. they, you're right, though. They should be a very good team again this year. Because they beat Utah, beat USC. Like, we don't need to go through them, but there, there's a potential. They're one of those teams where I don't know what their over under win total is, but I need to maybe send a text to our buddy uh, Josh or, or drive across state line and see what their win total is and just take the over because that's probably the case. But I'm taking Boise State for the win, but it's oh, it's a toss up for me. Lean. Yeah, and then I also have the I also have the road game at New Mexico as a win as well. New Mexico at UT Martin and at UTEP, despite what Dana Dimmel has been doing, not enough to uh, beat Boise well, State. We're we're gonna give them the the FCS minute, right? Give the people what they want. Of course, go for it. So, UT Martin, FCS playoff team last year, won ten games, uh, got to the second round, so they they won a game in the playoffs too. And they are the preseason Ohio Valley Conference favorites going into 2022. They also boast the conference's preseason defensive player of the year with a magnificent football name, John H. Ford II. Brilliant. Great name. 88 tackles last year, five TFLs, four interceptions. He's a guy who could do a little bit of everything. I believe, if memory serves, they also had eight or nine all-conference picks, uh, preseason all-conference picks, I should specify including you know a sophomore running back who's a rising star Zach Wallace uh had eight, only 180 excuse me 148 carries last year ran for 870 yards and also had 15 touchdowns some corners of the internet he was a freshman all-american last year so while i expect Boise State to hold serve and win that game at home UT Martin is going to be better than the last time they these two teams faced off Hero Sports, who covers FCS, has them as the 14th team preseason, but this this poll's done back in like May. So they're yeah, they're gonna be they're gonna be a pretty good team. Yeah, it should be a win, but it's not gonna be a, a 48 to six victory or something. Yeah. And then as far as UTEP is concerned, you know, like the, the question now is like, yeah, they were a surprise story last year. They were definitely one of the one of the better feel-good stories in college football. Do they have staying power? Well, they also that's have a big question to Arizona transferred. So that's a Jake problem. Cowing, yeah. And and their and their second leading receiver Justin Garrett moved on to try out for the pros. Good news is though, their quarterback Gavin Hardison is back. You know he had only a fifty five percent completion rate last year, but he was definitely a a, a deep ball specialist. Averaged nine yards an attempt, uh, eighteen touchdowns to thirteen interceptions. They also have both of their top running backs back too: Ronald Lott, Deion Hankins, and their defense should still be pretty stout too. Like, you know, I believe they're returning everybody in their front seven, uh, including defensive end praise on Mawule, defensive tackle Keenan Stewart, middle linebacker Breon Hayward. He had over 100 tackles last year. It's a front seven that's littered with guys who could be all conference USA performers. So, again, I have Boise State winning this one on the road, but UTEP might hang around for a little while in this game, especially if the defense can play up to its potential like they did last year. And if that offensive line is shaky, it's like, well, you never know. It's in the Sun Bowl. It's yeah. A, yeah that, they're they're going to be hyped for that game in El Paso. Let's put well, it that way. They've been pretty good. So that'll be uh, – do we know when that game's TV and everything? It's probably a FS1 game for conference. Or I don't know what conference you say. Is there CBS, aren't they now? I, a, believe, I think they have CBS Sports Network, yeah. 7 p.m. local time, so it's a night game out there in the mountains. So that'll be Friday night as well. So it's even whew, road favorite Friday night. Who give me the minors? Maybe I don't know. We'll see to cover. Not CBS to Sports Network, by the way. Oh, sorry, I say CBS. That'd be awesome. CBS Sports. It's on CBS Sports Network. Sports Network. Yeah. All right, now we get to com- more more conference play. The rest outside of BYU, Fre- San Diego State, Fresno State, 
It's at home. That stretch, this stretch here, this stretch is brutal. Aztecs mm-hmm. at home, old dogs at home. I had Air Force who they lost to last year. Host CSU, who could be frisky, but not really in the mix there. Then hosting BYU. I have them going three and two in that stretch. You want to guess my two losses? Uh, I'm going to say Fresno and BYU. No, Fresno, San Diego State. So you got them dropping the first two. I do, yes. Interesting. It's. I mean, okay, let, let's let's put it like this, because, and this sort of gets to one of the other questions we received from uh, from Benjamin Phillips about, you know, the bigger obstacle to Boise State winning another conference title, a division rival or a West Division foe. I think we're both in agreement that it's a West Division foe. Oh, yeah. Because I have, the, I have them losing that San Diego State game, too. We've already talked about Fresno State, so if you put, if you people have been listening, yeah. you know what Matt has and know what I have. Yeah. I have them three and two in that stretch. I have them losing to the Aztecs, but I also have them losing at Air Force. Here's the thing. Like, I know they're good, but honestly, like if we're playing like doomsday a little bit and we're going to finish up here, but they could, there's no gimmies in that stretch except for a CSU. But here's, here's what I'll say before I let you continue. I just want to put this out there real quick. If Boise state goes five and oh in that stretch. They're not, they're going undefeated. They, they, you know, if they go, okay. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Let's be because you look at the you look at the back end of that schedule at Nevada, at Wyoming, home versus Utah State. Utah State, no gimme though. I will say that. But if they go five and zero at that juncture, you're looking at what the doorstep of you're looking early November. They've got to be in the driver's seat for a New Year's Six Bowl spot because those that five game stretch is better than any stretch that Cincinnati or Houston, or any other team that's in this preseason conversation right now. Everybody's talking up Houston. Houston doesn't even have to play Cincinnati until a proverbial title game, or a hypothetical title game, excuse me. Yeah, not, don't, don't, don't pencil them in there yet, Matt, come on. But I'm just, I'm just saying, if Boise State goes 5-0 and in that stretch, they've got to be in the driver's seat with an exclamation point. Here's the thing, three of those are at home. That's why I'm not having yeah, them yeah. lose three of those, just because I don't see them losing all the – like that's a good thing. They get these tough games at home. Like CSU will be risky what Gene Orville does, but they're gonna this winning streak is gonna continue versus the Rams, where they'll be undefeated in conference play and Mountain West play ever versus Colorado State. But Fresno yeah. State offense, I think, is a bit too much. Aztecs overall are just I know I just think they're the better team overall because again, Boise needs to prove it to me this year. Could they win these game, win these games? Yeah. They're this team we'll get we'll, we'll schedule here, but as we finish up, but they're they, I'm not giving them any gimmies outside of games for sure, like New Mexico or Nevada or CSU. Going to Air Force, best quarterback, eh, it's pretty close. Best running back, I'm leaning Air Force. That they they could, we'll finish the season here, but the the whole record. But what I'm getting at that stretch, don't be surprised if they go. Honestly, would lose three of those games. But there are so many at home. I'm not going to predict that because they're they're very good at home. And BYU, we talked about them a ton, but. Jaron Hall, solid quarterback, wasn't healthy all that all that much last year. Um, BYU has transferred running backs coming in. We'll see how they do at this point. Like Chris Brooks, they have a couple guys like Lapina Katoa from last year who played pretty well. Returning receivers like Isaac Ress and Rex and Puka Nakua, defense will be fine. But it's at it's at home, and they beat BYU last year when they were, I think a top ten team. So they have confidence going into that game. But when we finish up here at Nevada, that's a win. There's Nevada's they're trash. They're not very good. At Wyoming could be frisky just because Craig Bull's defense is really good. And but I think they'll be like a 20 to 10 game, something like that, in favor of Boise State. And then they get another tough game at home, Utah State. That's a 10 a.m. kick, Black Friday local time, CBS over their network. That is going to be another tough one. I'm leaning win because it's at home and how they kind of usually take care of Utah State for the most part. So there's that kind of historical edge and players who've been around for four to six years, three to whatever, they're like, oh, we know we can beat Utah State, not a big deal. I have them going 10 and 2, but I could see I'll let you give your final record here, but I could see Matt a scenario where they lose to Oregon State, they lose San Diego State, Fresno State, Air Force, BYU. I could potentially not gonna happen, would not be overly surprised, and people were gonna freak out at me. Six and six could be on the table this year. Probably not gonna happen, but there's enough schedules heft on here where they could lose six games. So I have them nine and three and five and three in conference. What's your other losses? And kind of go through your back end a little bit because I kind of took over that last little bit. So so I mentioned that I have them losing to San Diego State and at Air Force. I also have them losing to Utah State at the end of the year. Okay. 
Do you think I'm also a very there is also a very real possibility I'm hedging just a tad too much, especially if the offense comes back into form. You think I'm out of line? Like like you you mentioned you mentioned like six and six is within their own possibility. That's like the that's like the left end of the bell curve. The right end of the bell curve is they're bowling on New Year's Day. Oh, I can totally see both of those. I'm just saying, again, they have to prove it to me, and they haven't done it the past yeah, couple. I mean, but there, there's a reason. Like, if, if you've if you've picked up the new football outsiders almanac, I believe they're one of three teams in the conference that has a very marginal chance by F plus projections of going 12 and 0. Um, and I, I can't remember the other two. I don't have it in front of me. I apologize. But yeah, the, both of those things. Like, the, there's a, this could be a very special team if everything breaks right. Well, I'm getting, yeah, I'm getting that, but, but it could also, but it could also be a, a, a year that looks an awful lot like last year, which I think is what you're getting at. Yeah, and I could maybe see it getting worse, but that's like the the reason I'm saying six and six because, again, look how hyped up Oregon State could be. Look at obviously San Diego State, Fresno State is in the same position for me as Boise State, Aztecs, Broncos, even maybe not Utah State, but they're close. Aztecs, Broncos. And Bulldogs could it maybe even Air Force, but they're more Utah State level. Those three teams could be New York Six potential. Yeah, but I mean, and long story short, like if, if they're ho- if they're hoisting another conference championship trophy on the blue in December, you can't you can't say that they didn't earn it. Well, that but but then again, them going ten and two, and that's probably my peak just because of the that middle pack. Sorry, middle pack schedule is very difficult. So ten and two, you're nine and three. You have two. You have three conference losses, correct? Yes. Or two BYU. Three. Utah State. You you have Utah State. Air Say Force and San Diego State. Yeah, I don't want to step over wrong things. I have Aztecs, Bulldogs lost 10 and 2. All right, that wraps up our Boise State preview. MWR.com. Check out our top 50 countdown, all of our other shows we've done. We have three left. We have New Mexico, San Jose State, and UNLV in the next coming two weeks. And the season's here, Matt. So we'll see you next time and just enjoy all the content. Football will be here. Basically this month almost through 30 something days till Utah State, UConn and other week zero games. Boom.